I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is coming on! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio, joined as always by Murray Kinsler of the 42.e. How are you, Murray? I'm okay. A bit confused and dazed by the postponement of the match. I don't know what I'm going to do myself now that weekend, but I'm sure I'll get over it. I hope so. We are concerned for you, watching you <laughs> wandering around the offices here aimlessly. And Bernard Jackman is also in the building. How are you, Bernard? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to the chat and trying to figure out what's next for, for rugby in the Northern Hemisphere. What's next for Irish rugby? What's next for rugby? What's next for the world, potentially? Did you ever think, maybe if podcasts were around in 2001 with foot and mouth, we would have been sat here uh, talking about it. Certainly Gary Doyle would have been the veteran. But uh, yeah, it's a fascinating one. I don't have a clue what is going on myself, really. We know the game between Ireland and Italy will be rescheduled. We, we can say that with certainty. Um, so the possibilities are... Uh, during a Pro 14 weekend in April or May. You could do it on the 27th of June before Ireland head to Australia for their two tests. You could do it on the 25th of July, which is two weeks after Ireland get back from Australia and a week after Italy get back from Argentina. And then you're looking at September as another alternative, the first few weeks in September. Now, um, a potential extra spanner in the works is that England's game in Italy is definitely going to be called off i know six nations had a statement last night saying all other games are going ahead as scheduled at the moment but they're liaising with governments and if juventus and inter are potentially decisive Serie A clash is being played behind closed doors then an international rugby fixture uh, will fall fell similarly only that similar to the irfu the italian rugby federation can't afford for a game to take place behind closed doors so we don't really know where, like, obviously the rescheduling of an Italy-England game could affect the potential dates uh, in which on which Italy would be available to play Ireland. And we don't have any sort of indication really as to which way um, it's going to go. But f- from your point of view, Murray, is there a likely date in your head or a more suitable date than others in your head for this rescheduled game? Yeah, I... I- I'm kind of leaning towards what you're thinking there. You have a block of fixtures, potentially two weekends of fixtures. I mean, fingers crossed Ireland, France goes ahead in Paris, but we just really don't know what the scale of the kind of spread across Europe, across different countries is going to be with the coronavirus. So it's impossible to say, but I do get that sense that there's going to be other postponements potentially. And you might end up with two blocks of fixtures or one block rather of of two uh, game weekends in that sense probably September makes most sense to me the Pro 14 se- season is due to start on the 26th of September that weekend so you either run it slightly before that or concurrent to that and obviously the a lot of international players generally wouldn't be back at that stage so it would disrupt their seasons in that sense you're going into a, a Lions tour at the end of that season obviously as well so it's important to manage players so really no matter which way you postpone uh, reschedule it rather there's going to be that disruption. Players obviously don't want to play on beyond that Australia tour because there was talk of a third test over there and that didn't go down too well in in particular. Uh, they obviously want to finish up when they were supposed to finish up, but you could argue that they're resting now rather than playing those kind of heavy tests. So, yeah, you're right. We, we don't know. The meetings are going to continue today. Ireland and, and Italy started talking about it last, last night. 
uh, and in conjunction with the Six Nations. But again, they don't know how long this is going to last for. You, you talk about April and May, but there's a risk that you reschedule it to there and then you're still looking at a very similar situation. Um, like It's really just hard to say. I don't have the medical expertise to know how long this is going to last. I don't think anyone really does. You've seen just now Japan have shut down their schools until April. Um, so it's clearly going to take some time and there's talk of six months to 12 months in terms of getting over this. So yeah, it's, it's really up in the air. It must be tricky for Ireland having gone into camp last night and, and figuring out what they do next because next week obviously is has changed so they're going to focus on that France match but really we have no certainty really yeah it's an absolute dose of a situation to be in for the players Bernard in the sense that you're training away kind of aimlessly in a way like you're I suppose in fairness training will be altered so that you're more or less taking over like nearly maintenance training rather than the schedule training that would have been in place uh, beforehand but just when you're in a squad situation for that long at least you have games coming up either at the weekend or every second weekend whereas now it's just like I mean they're, they're as uncertain as everybody else yeah I think it's you know um, obviously we're we're wondering what, what's going on but it's particularly hard for them their whole life is based around clarity of, of schedule you know um, and from from Monday morning to, to what time they're in the gym to the, um, you know to Saturday who they're playing against and they have a real you know um Long, long-sighted outlook on that, um, and for in the middle of Six Nations to to be in a situation of of chaos, and it's not just obviously that Ireland Italy game. I mean, it's the uncertainty around what's going to happen post that. You know, there's probably there's probably uncertainty around elements of the Pro 14 for sure. Elements maybe Champions Cup. Like we just don't know how how much this is going to. Um, I suppose how how it's going to multiply, and you know what the government directive is on it. You know, does all sport you know take a, a take a stoppage uh, and postpone all sport and all mass gatherings? And if it is, it is. I mean, health, public public health is absolutely critical. But I suppose we're not going to get into that too much. We're going to just try and problem solve and figure out you know what could happen. I, I think if if it was just the Italy game that was cancelled and England were able to go to Rome and. And even if they play behind closed doors, and we were the only game to to not be affected, I think to try and get it played in April, I think it would make sense to get the Six Nations wrapped up in this season if they can. But obviously, um, if Italy have to play two games, uh, then I'd imagine I'd agree with Murray maybe push to to September, um, which you know from a pure rugby point of view, uh, and again that's all I'm really going to talk about is it's disappointing that you know. That week, last weekend, Ireland going to France, um, you know, um, England, uh, England going to Rome. Um, you know, it's not going to be for a championship probably because I think, in fairness to France, I actually think France might slip up in Scotland if it's played and it'll all be on the line going into the last game. Um, but now that's not going to happen because uh, we're all not going to finish the same weekend. It's like a Harry Potter movie. You kind of end the finale on a cliffhanger ahead of a sequel months later, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's quite the dilemma. Like, and as you say, Bernard, you're quite right. Like, we can only really speak about this um, from within a rugby context. One interesting message in the 42 members WhatsApp group, actually, from Greg in Singapore. Um, he says he's living over there, and they're more advanced in terms of uh, presentation and management of these cases. And he said they had the Singapore Sevens called off a few weeks back, even though it was scheduled for April. And then they had two weeks of club rugby called off with no games to uh, be replayed earlier on in the month. But then games last week went ahead. Domestic league semi-finals are going ahead this weekend behind closed doors. Um, but they'll also introduce sort of temperature checks for pre-match for players uh, and things like that. So 
he says from our perspective it's positive that the union is doing its best to get rugby played here uh, although you can imagine it, it's going to be a growing issue in Europe uh, especially with spectator gatherings but it's a little maybe glimmer of hope that you can return to some something resembling normality uh, within a few months rather than this going on to be a six month or 12 month thing interestingly as well I saw Chris Blocker Dutton from the Canberra Times saying that Brumbies, Sunwolves, Waratahs and the Chiefs could all play in Wollongong next Friday night yeah. so like an old school GAA doubleheader <laughs> yeah uh, it'll be a good watch but it shows the disruption is going to be absolutely everywhere um, one of the other things to consider like purely in, in the rugby sense and I think Ireland had, had concerns about it immediately was players not having minutes and, and game time because obviously there's a lot of lads in the, the Six Nations squad either coming off the bench getting a couple of minutes um, and probably not having played a lot of, for their province in the last what three four weeks and now there's a Pro 14 weekend this weekend but already Ulster's game has fallen foul that's postponed so those guys haven't got a chance to play and then there's two weeks off with the Pro 14 so another couple of weekends where, where people won't play so we've got this big long break it must be tricky with this strength and conditioning side of it yeah. where you're trying to peak at certain times and now it's been kind of put into to, to that disarray so that's a challenge for them as well and I don't know if that maybe affects maybe playing a training game or something like that yeah, they upping, might have to upping look, the uh, contact load or, yeah they might have to look at it I remember you know back well, a while ago now James Ryan went down and played a match for Munster A um, just because I think he was going on tour that summer um, and for sure they, they could organise some kind of interprovincial A game um, as such to get and, and fill it with a couple of internationals if that's if game time is a worry I know Ulta Delan and Dave Heffernan are gone to South Africa with with um, with Connor to play the, the Kings you know that's great they, they, they're they going to get a game obviously um, Heffernan hasn't been used um, but and Delan probably needs just needs a, a top up so I, I'd imagine if I think once everyone kind of has a clear picture of of basically what all the stakeholders i.e. the Guinness Pro 14 European Cup Six Nations uh, plan to do um, they'll then obviously try and make sure that they I suppose individualise everyone's programme and that's obviously a mixture of S&C training time game time holidays um, to try and have them ready again for when whenever they go back to to, to playing yeah I think Leinster will want minutes in the players like, it's strange you go into a Six Nations and Leinster worry oh, let's get through this without someone getting injured for the Saracens match but potentially you're getting guys back not having played a lot so I'll be the first one to call for a probables v possibles oh, trial yeah. match. Remember those used to happen. That yeah, was great. Yeah. That was good. I think that would get a lot of eyeballs uh, and a lot of attention. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know if they'll go for that. Um, no, I'm just, no. joking. I'm just joking. I'm literally just joking. No, uh, but I could see like a, a Leinster Munster A game in Donnybrook or something like that, and you know, four or five guys just getting a chance to to get a hit out for sixty minutes. Yeah, it's been a mental week and it started off in crazy enough fashion, even aside from the coronavirus in that Ireland uh, flattered to deceive in Twickenham. And as you would imagine, there was plenty of blowback towards them uh, in light of that. Uh, you had a, a very interesting analytical members pod, Murray, on Monday with Owen Tulin. Members at the $42 E if you want to sign up and listen back to that one. There's a message here in the whatsapp group from kevin mccarthy which i think is a, a decent enough place to start he said he listened to yourself and owen on monday but he reckons there's something more fundamentally wrong with ireland maybe it's a, a legacy of years of program structure under joe that we lack the ability to think on the fly 
Uh, one small point at the end of the England game highlighted this to me, he says. We had a penalty advantage about halfway, uh, at about the halfway, at about 70 minutes, and we played uh, one side to another for, an, Jesus, I can't read apparently. We played from side to side for another half dozen phases before eventually going back to the penalty. So why not take the penalty immediately, he asks. Lack of identifying England were not resourcing rooks and that they were vulnerable to the pick and go and a lack of variety in game plan to try short kicking to beat rush defence, he reckons. Yeah, I think the kicking, the lack of variety in the kicking game, even the lack of really at- attacking kicking game of any kind was definitely part of it. It's something that's frustrated me with Ireland. At times they show glimpses of it. I think Gary Ringrose obviously has a bit of a grubber kicking game and his influence on that and on the attack was certainly missed. He's a good organiser as well. It's not just all on Johnny Sexton's shoulders, which it probably was the last day. Um, and it has been an- another kind of intermittent concern. Um, I think you probably also saw a bit of, I mean, like the the struggles to get into the attacking shape that they're trying to build now um, and being focused on that. And then almost the byproduct of that is you, you almost forget about, not forget, but you kind of fade away your focus on being really aggressive in the carry, your footwork before contact, getting your head up and, and making a good decision. It was interesting, you you tweeted out the clip, Bernard, of the Maratoja tackle on, on Henshaw. And I thought that was a really interesting example because Josh van der Fleer is kind of in midfield, outside Johnny Sexton, with Dave Kilcoyne. You think he's going to be that kind of two-player pod outside his, his out-half. Instead, he runs all the way to the far right of the pitch, which takes a good bit of work rate. And essentially, he's adhering to their new attacking shape where he's that guy in the 15-meter channel. But in that sense, in that case, rather, it makes more sense to me that if he stays where he is, uh, to be a threat to defence and then when he goes out the back door to Henshaw it's a little bit more difficult for the English defence to read so there's a couple of those dilem- dilemmas rather I think in players minds about trying to go in the direction they're going but also be pretty ruthless in their carry and uh, and playing what's in front of them the the attack kicking game I, game I definitely agree it's just something that Ireland don't consistently have and it's such an important part of the game against that kind of line speed obviously it's affected by going backwards it's hard to kick accurately and effectively and threateningly when you when you are going backwards with your ball carrying but I think they could have done more damage there the the kicking seems to be limited really to to the box kick and, and the occasional contestable from Sexton your thoughts Bernard yeah, you've been quiet this week yeah I've been very quiet um, I, I disagree with Murray on the ring rows uh, and I, I, on, in terms of would he been a help against England for kicking um, I agree with you I think he is a really good um, option for us but I just think the way England defend he never would have got a chance to to actually you know uh, run kick um, he, that's where the, that's where the heat was going to come um, I, I, I think the problem we have at the moment is uh, we actually the, the problem we have at the moment is we're in transition from the way we played which is very collision focused um, know where the gain line is a uh, little bit of footwork um, not offload so the support players smash it through contact and you get gain line um, and we were very kick focused um, because we were very good at it but going back now we haven't been good at it for about a year um, and we won contestables back um, and because that was seen as being a you know a, a very a system that didn't work now we're trying to become this team that plays um, and in actual fact if you if you analyse England Ireland and England again you say Ireland got into trouble because they tried to play too much you know but yes Everybody wants Ireland to play play more. You know, most of the fans are saying, "Oh, why are we 
why are we putting up Gary Owens or why are we kicking the ball away? We why aren't we getting the ball to Stockdale and Larmer's hands, etc. Or sorry, um, yeah, Stockdale and Larmer and Conway's hands through the catch pass and keeping the ball a lot, keeping the ball in in in, um, in in our in our possession. The reality was we actually needed to soften up the defence in other ways first, and some of that was by actually playing to the front door, um, by being really strong in the carry by. By playing off a midfield rook, they actually we we very rarely got to split the field. We were playing off an edge to a fifteen, and then trying to get to the other edge, and we were getting caught behind the gain line. So uh, the worrying thing for me is, and if you look at how England dismantled Ireland, and Ireland aren't a, a rush defence, so you could you could argue they could have just kept the ball in hand, and they would have they would have been able to get gain line. From the first ten minutes, all they wanted to do was was find kick space, either aerial or in behind. So again, it's just that mindset that they felt. Okay, and you can look at where Ireland... So Ireland and England don't have very massively different defensive systems in the backfield. They're quite similar. It's just the front line, obviously, they've got a lot more of a, an aggressive um, blitz from out to in. Um, but what happened was they had a bit of possession early doors and they put up two contestables and they won them back. And suddenly then, they're, like that moves the whole... That moves the gain line and the forward pack 25 metres up the field and the defence are in a bit of chaos for a second and the next carry is easy and then you're on the front foot and they have the power to, to knock us back plus we're not a we're not a hinged defence so um, we kind of give them the edge again then so they get there and they get on the front foot so I think the reality is for us is getting that balance between understanding yeah we want to be a team who can play we want to develop those skills but is Twickenham the best place to to test that on 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 the back foot. No, it's not. You know what I mean. So, and also like they cut like there's little moments in the game where we kind of lost confidence. So there was a there was a very similar shape. Um, so it's three two shape. Uh, we played against Wales and got the edge easily. And uh, Stockdale overruns O'Mahony and it's a knock on. You know, and it doesn't sound it doesn't mean one moment. But like you have to understand that I think Larmer threw an unbelievable pass to go over the top. Like when that when your wingers are, are, are knocking the ball on there and the the pack are coming back to be reset for a scrum, um, it just gets people out of out of um, they lose their confidence. But also because we're not doing it long enough, you know, people don't have the the track record of success um, to go. Hang on, that was just a that was just an individual error. Let's make sure we can get around them now. And if you get if that stock catches that, there's there's massive space in their backfield to run kick. Um, but there was another opportunity Bundy should have passed and he didn't and he he carried um he tried a little wrinkle play that that uh, Jamie George shot out of line and, and and spooked Sexton so the reality is i think at the moment we're a team it's ideal for england that they came up against ireland as they try and play this new way um but if you look at how england attacked ireland they weren't too cocky enough their team won you know uh world cup finalists full of talent for the first 10 minutes they didn't care about playing to the edges they were just caring about winning aerial contests against Ireland because that's that's rocks teams and we were the, like in 2017-18 that's how we got more energy and, and momentum you know what I mean because suddenly you've changed the point of contact there's a fractured ball and it's so much easier than to get game line or so much easier to, to play to play to wit whereas we were the ones basically suffocated in our own half and then obviously to get the lucky try in terms of lucky bounce but very poor play by us in the lead up to it and then they get a second one where Stockdale can do better. Johnny missed a kick, and um, you know you're—you just feel—is like, there seventeen nil down? I think we were. You know what I mean? And then it's very hard to judge things because, unfortunately, again as I said, because we're in transition. You know, I agree with Murray. The, the Josh Runner Fleer like going back to his shape. You know, suddenly then people are just so worried about doing doing the right thing. They're not thinking about okay, what's the best way of, of breaking this down? And probably at half time. Or maybe you're hoping messages come on clearer, and you know it's just a new coaching team. You're just 
you know, you build enough trust and, and a bit, you know, you're working out how to problem solve during a game. Uh, but I think, you know, a review of that game, if you play England again this weekend, I think Ireland aren't going to be slaves to, to play in that shape um, and go out to back all the time. I, I, I believe, and I think we probably would kick more, um, but it's, it's easy now. It's unfortunately, the opportunity's gone. <laughs> yeah. It probably just points that journey they're on and there yeah. is short-term pain. They feel it's the right journey to go on yes. because if they can be that team who moves like that's a, the Larmer one is a great example where James Ryan I mean CJ Sanders has been obliterated by two laggy you think they're not going to go to wit off this but James Ryan makes a lovely link pass he's the first player in that three man pod there's no wasted bodies Sexton and Larmer's hands Larmer's brilliant and then O'Mahony and Stockdale between them kind of mess up a really good opportunity it, it shows where they're trying to go and, it, and I agree with you if that had gone to hand then wow the confidence flows if they can get to that point where they're executing those things successfully, they're going to be a better team, I think, a more threatening attacking team. But that's the challenge for any coaching staff. Right now, Ireland are probably, in that game, we're probably better being quite direct, quite narrow, not playing into the hands of Maratoje, sprinting out of the line and sapping the whole team of energy when that happens. So it is a, it is a challenge, and, and you're right. Like People have been crying out for this, uh, a development in their game. And now, that it's trying to, now they're trying to do it, people are criticising them for, for the way they're playing so it's hard for them to get that balance and yeah there's there's fair criticism in the fact that they didn't do it well and that they didn't adapt during the game but that's the way they're trying to take their attacking play yeah but it's so hard like you're not going to be able to get your B team to defend like yeah. England defend yeah. because like they have unbelievable athletes and they believe in it and it's it's a mixture between the John Mitchell system and the Saracen system well, you know, so like what second round of the world can do what Toje did to, to go catch Henderson there or Henshaw, you know what I mean? So, even though you know, even though um, we knew what was coming, you still want to say, Well, look, if we get our depth right, and we get our, our passing accuracy right, we make good decisions, we can get over that or and around it, and then you're into into um, Clover. But obviously, we had such a little ball because we couldn't... Like, when it kicked to us, you, you got a windows collisions in the air. Then you have possession back, and, and, and it's different. But we were starved of possession, and that's why we're magnifying, like, probably two or three examples um, of when we weren't as accurate as we needed to be. But, again, I think the more... Now that they've really felt that kind of... That heat of that rush, they're, like, they're going to be better next time. You know, and also they might be like less slaves to it because they say, okay, well, look at why, why give them energy by risking being caught twenty yards behind the gain line? Why don't we soften them up a little bit first and, um, you know, go to the air and, and, and go cross field or, or or find that space, just kick down the middle and make them kick back to us and, and open it up a little bit, like because it's, like, the line speed is coming from you know rooks where they've got only one in a rook and they're in certain parts of the field. And unfortunately for us, we, we didn't adapt our plan. But I can understand completely why not, because it's so early. You know what I mean? It's so early. And I think the, the actual fact, probably this, this week would have been an unbelievable week for them in terms of really sitting down together and actually seeing the the strength of that defence and obviously trying to find, what's more importantly, the weaknesses now. Um, and Wales are a hinge defence. They're not as aggressive as uh, as England were against us. Um, but it's it's an up and in defense. So if we get uh, sorry, if France, if you get to play France, uh, if the match is played, you're effectively going back to back against similar yeah. defenses. So, which is great because if we're playing Italy, it, it won't be real. It won't be live. If we're playing Wales again because the way they play at the moment, the way they defend at the moment, it's it's a softer defense. So you're not really sure of have you improved. And in fairness, if we all said after the World Cup, we want this team to to play a different way find some new players and we're not obsessed about the results at the moment because the big picture is 
you know a, a better um, attacking model as we go forward well then we have to just be patient about it mm. the set piece attack particularly in the first half just didn't give them any return either you mentioned the Jamie George read there when they're trying to set up Johnny Sexton in behind sweeping back across looks like a cross field kick yeah. the first one even is a good example where they throw to the tail of a four man line out it goes over the 15 metre you see Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray coming back down the short side and, and they're going to have a clear three on two but Atoje to be fair to him brilliant bit of reading he understands that the ball's gone over the 15 so there's no offside line he comes in to capture but maybe that's a bit of detail that Ireland need to get a bit more nailed on yeah because there, there's an early opportunity and there's a bit of flow and that confidence and it's huge. You need, yeah, and that's, for instance, that's where Schmidt was very good mm. is that they would find something that would basically unlock the defence and they would have it, um, they would have it nailed, the detail would be brilliant and that just gives you a little bit of momentum and we, we just obviously couldn't get anything right in the first in the, in the first half really, to be honest and uh, I actually think the players deserve a huge amount of credit for not conceding a bonus point. I mean, um, now he could criticise England as well but that was a game which could have got out of hand very quickly and they didn't let it get out of hand um, in fairness they, st- they hung in there and that that's that's the only real positive because there wasn't a huge amount of positives in, in any other areas but I, I do think they deserve to be credited for for being brave being resilient and not not cracking you know which again is something probably against Scotland we had um, but it, there's definitely a huge amount of work to happen in terms of the, the tactical technical element There's a question here from Owen which is not dissimilar to what Kevin was asking previously but it sort of plays into what you guys are saying I think in that he says I've heard the likes of Andy Dunn Shane Horgan Mike Tindall talk about Ireland's lack of ability to change things on the field and the over-reliance on one-out runners for a long time are they onto something at this point or is that too reductive but I uh, I think it's an interesting question in the context of what you're saying there, Bernard, in that the criticism of the team in the past was that they wouldn't change at all. Now they are trying to change radically, but they perhaps stuck too rigidly to that attempted change in Twickenham rather than adapt mid-game. The adaptation they would have been making mid-game would have been more or less to revert to type nearly or revert to what we'd seen previously, which would have been more effective. But are they then... Like, are they too loyal to a game plan like or, or nearly slaves to a game plan or are all teams like that really at this level well I think the really experienced ones and who have real cohesion and, and confidence and stability between their senior players and their coaches they are more flexible but I think when you're starting off something um, you're quite rigid in it because you know you make a plan and you, you don't understand how to how to maybe move that mid game, or you haven't prepped a different way of playing as much, you know. So they obviously felt that this was the right way to go to Twickenham, that they could get, and you can get around it, like you absolutely can. You just need to understand um, how and really execute. You know what I mean? Uh, and also, like you need to have possession. You need to have more possession than we had, um, like a good possession. I know the stats, the stat, um, the stats. You wouldn't believe the scoreline if you, you know, based on some of the statistics. But we didn't really have good possession in the right areas of the field. Um, to actually launch properly, so um, I think I think that the learn and everyone talks. It sounds cheesy, whatever, but they actually will learn a huge amount from that, and I think they'll build up more of a repertoire about you know what they need to do when they if they're if they're kind of stuck a little bit in the future. But again, I think the critical weakness for us at the moment is uh, is we're actually struggling under to catch high balls. Um, uh, we're getting beaten in, on the on the escort. We're getting um, beaten in the air. And, you know, that's suddenly become a weakness for us. And it's not just 
parity. We, it was a strength, and now it's an actual weakness. So teams are actually targeting us now, um, and we're losing those uh, 50-50s or 60-40s. And that's given other teams energy, and it's, it's rocking us a little bit. So, it's a, and you know, everyone said, "Oh, Ireland are bringing out gay footballers." Well, it's not. A, it's, it's no help to us at the moment. You know what I mean? We're <laughs> we're actually we just we're actually it's a it's a massive weakness that uh, and and uh, for all the work you do in attack, if you've got that much of an Achilles heel, uh, and this is it's not just one game. This is consistent, um, in my opinion. That uh, and the fact that teams are targeting it shows that they believe they can get some gain out of it. We're always going to be um, we're always going to be on the hind foot because it's lovely ball to attack off the ball yeah. to kick and win back in the air. And oh. as you as you point out before the cha- or early in the championship, France have really developed their kicking strategy. They're yeah. kicking more than anyone. You saw the try they scored. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bring back Rob Kearney. What the hell has happened to us there, Murray? Not that I hold you personally accountable, but <laughs> how has it gone from being a strength to a weakness? It's not even as Bernard says uh somewhere in the middle anymore like it the drop off in terms of its effectiveness has been um rapid and uh extremely noteworthy like it i don't think it's fair necessarily to say it's a personnel thing because it became a weakness even when carney was 15 even if he wasn't personally culpable for it Uh, and also it was it not kind of obvious that england were going to do this in the first sort of quarter of this game like how can you not have something in place to to combat that or was it a case again of just individual errors like things just going a little bit wrong in in the kick chase and also in aerial challenges yeah i think what you mentioned there about the escorting there's little switch offs which does surprise me because it should be an area of the game you've really nailed on particularly because england kicked quite a lot last year in, in dublin now a lot of that was kind of low into the backfield and they did that again it didn't look like Ireland were particularly well prepped for that either but there's an element of, of individual responsibility in it, certainly in the fielding. Owen did a really good article on it in terms of the escorting, those little bits of detail and the, the actual technique and kind of mindset of the catching. It's worth people checking out to, to go into a bit more detail there. Like they do work very hard and it's one of those extras they do at the end of every session, but the confidence seems to have sapped out of it, which is a drastic turnaround from, well, probably more than a year or two ago. Like Ireland were lording it up but everyone else has switched on in that area and then you have the fact that everyone else has gotten particularly good at it having not focused as much probably as Ireland so Johnny May working really hard in his aerial skill I know Daly's had a few off days but he did he did well on that that first take as well um, and guys getting better at getting around the escort and, and being smarter in, in the lines they run and, and the timing of those runs so it's other people getting good but also Ireland have, have certainly regressed in that yeah I think it used to be like a massive part of selection criteria you know, so when Joe picked Trimble and Carney, like Dave Carney and stuff, you know, part of the reason they got the nod was because they were unbelievably effective in those areas. And uh, I think, you know, we definitely had a head start and we, we saw that as a potential area of strength or um, uh, for us before anyone else. And, and, you know, we worked really hard on it. And I, I agree other people have caught up, but I, I agree. I don't think we've just stayed the same and, and it's, it's level now. I think we've actually regressed on it. But it was an area where... If you weren't good at, you didn't get picked for Ireland. You know what I mean. And I know that at training, they did a lot of stuff live, um, which, you know, is is quite risky, obviously from an injury point of view. But they just got so used to having collisions in the air, you know, um, and best man wins, um, that they just became really comfortable in it. And I don't know what, I don't know if that's changed. I don't have any insights into that. But for for whatever reason, even take away the take away the escort, etc. There's a lot of balls where we're co- coming forward for. And you know the opposition are, are getting them, which um, 
there's there's an issue we just need to fix. I mean, it's something that can be worked on quickly, but um, and I'm sure maybe this three week block or whatever will be a chance to to fix that, and, and maybe it'll be personnel. I mean, Jacob Stockdale, um, you know, his 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 cover and his defence isn't um, isn't a strong point really, you know, at the moment as well. And you only need one or two lads to have a really bad game um, away from home to, to for it to become as difficult as it was for us the other day. Yeah, no, it was all Stockdale's fault. I agree. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, like their Gaelic footballers now popping up all over the place. Like the Aussie rules lads will be licking their lips. Mm. Take some of the heat off uh, some of our domestic talent, maybe. Um, there's a question here from Owen who actually asked a previous question, but I like this second question as well. Uh, well, certainly it sort of would uh, play to what a lot of people are saying in the aftermath of this game. He asks, are some of Ireland's current or recent first 15 actually the best rugby players in their positions or are they just the best athletes he thinks it seems like our problems with physicality are related to the top six inches not necessarily size or athletic ability uh, is there a lack of intelligence or rugby brains on the pitch um like johnny sexton's as intelligent a rugby brain as you're going to get there are other guys who are definitely learning in that sense like jordan arm is a very young player jacob stockdale they're of a different generation. They probably don't watch as what well, quite as much rugby. Although Larmer is encouraged heavily by Lancaster, Stuart Lancaster, and to do so. Yeah, in certain areas, in in the halfbacks, there's a lot of rugby experience and knowledge there. Um, James Ryan's a great rugby brain. Spends a lot of time thinking about the game. Furlong encouraged increasingly to do so. I don't think that's an issue, but I do think the top six inches are relevant here because this Ireland team is coming off really traumatic 2019 and now I look at them ever since that Dublin game when they were on top of the world and they got absolutely rocked there's just an inability to really recover from setbacks like the start of the game now is everything for Ireland if they don't start well they don't seem um, they just seem to, to lose that belief they seem to lose that edge the way errors fall on top of errors and, and Sexton because of the position he's in is a prime example of that Wales last year away in the Six Nations when things didn't go well it ends up with him essentially not being able to drop kick the ball for restarts in this game obviously misconnecting with his, his kicks off the tee now I think he's a pretty resilient guy and I think I think he will bounce back from it but collectively I think that is a bit of an issue there's an undercurrent of that shakiness that maybe lack of lack of confidence when um, they're put in really tough compromised positions so that's another challenge for them and it was always going to be I mean that was a big part of the review the mental skills side of it from from the RFU so I think that's a, a longer term thing yeah I, that, that's, I think it's a really interesting point I do think it definitely looked like they got rocked by that first try mm. and then obviously the you know the second one and, and, and Johnny missing the kick that shouldn't have the effect it had on the team do you know what I mean it's only you know it's only small moments and, and you know you know when you go away to somewhere like Twickenham or, or Cardiff you're not going to be on the front foot all day or you should know that all these fellas have plenty of experience that yeah. um, you know the game will go and um, the momentum will swing from, from one side to the other but uh, again you know one of the important or one of the, what seemed to be one of the key findings of the, of the World Cup review was this um, maybe lack of, of support from the mental the side of it you know in terms of sports psych or whatever and I, I don't know maybe what like has that been addressed you know as far as I know Enda McNulty I haven't seen him around yeah um, they haven't made any formal announcements on, on what they're doing there and at the time they hadn't they had no program yeah. or plans in place which surprised me to come out and go this is a big issue but we haven't actually yeah. sorted anything we haven't had a chance to speak to News 4 since then so and this is the biggest tournament we're in this year you know mm. so the World Cup comes around every four years 
you know, so that's something that you would think needs to be addressed quite quickly. If that is, came from the players, that was a worry for them and a and a concern, which I presume it was, if it, came, if it became part of the review, or the review findings, well then you'd wonder what well, what the plan is to to help them with that, mm. you know, because. Uh, like essentially, like I know England probably have a marginally better team in terms of if you go through the fifteen, pick them player to player, head to head. But at that level, like the quality is very even across the, the nations, and often it does come down to the mental side of it. Much though, it's hard for us to gauge that accurately. At, yeah, it's when very we're hard to measure. It, but, but especially when you're transitioning tactically, yeah, um, you need to have even more of a of an awareness of of where your mindset is, where your confidence is, you know, how you can release pressure, etc. So just be interesting to see what comes from that, you know. Um, I'm probably surprised that there hasn't been an announcement or there hasn't been, I suppose, someone added to the team with that expertise, you know. Yeah, Mick Carney's come back into the mix, an experienced head, and he's not quite on the rugby side. I think he's helping with lads, I don't know, stuff away from rugby and, and getting set up for life after rugby, but he's an experienced head back into it. But it, but it is a part of it because he... It's quite visible how it saps out of Ireland when it's going against them. Like it happened against the All Blacks, it happened against Japan, it happened against Russia, I thought, in the World Cup, where obviously they got the bonus point win, but the error upon error was just really jarring. And that dates, as I say, all the way back to that England game, the Wales game in Cardiff away from home was a great example of that. And you look back to 2018, it's a really recent comparison. When they were in tough times there, obviously away to France, they had played really poorly and they manufactured something. There was real belief. They didn't play outstandingly well against Wales and, and Scotland at times in those games but they were able to manage their poor moments and, and bounce back and have a, a strong moment after that right now it's just a bad moment followed by a bad moment it's not uncommon in sport either for yeah. the absence of that type of a McNulty presence or somebody uh, who is kind of a like an integral personality without even necessarily being as hands-on as a, as a head coach or a defence coach or whatever that things just go south like uh, when you're talking about like compound errors and things like that, I, and you're looking back at 2018 versus now, I was thinking of Rio 2016, the Olympics, different sport, but like the Irish boxing team were incredibly successful for the previous two Olympics. The common denominator, as well as head coach Saranthia, was Billy Walsh, who was an unbelievable man manager and kind of just oversaw the program in what was de facto the high performance director role. He went to America months before the Olympics and we had our worst Olympics since 2004, mm. you know, like, and it was a case of disaster after disaster after disaster, even though the talent was literally there. Michael Conlon was a, was a world amateur champion. Katie Taylor was a reigning Olympic champion. And for nearly every fighter, it just went south incredibly quickly. So it's just interesting. And you make the point as well about England having, England and Ireland having like roughly similar talent at their disposal. But you wouldn't think that looking at the last three games between the teams but the thing is you have 2018 to point towards where you can say yeah actually like it, it's they're not a million miles apart mm. uh, there's not yeah there's a, probably an athletic thing there as in when Manu Laggy is firing but they were missing the Vunapolo brothers for, for this game so uh, yeah I think the 20, 2018 game shows and I know England were missing a couple that day that Ireland can physically they beat they beat them up that day in, in Twickenham really bullied them physically and um, so I think it shows when they're really on it. Again, personnel changes, but I think with that consistency, which they don't have now, they're also an inconsistent team, essentially, since the start of 2019. They're very up and down, which is a shame because they had built incredible consistency under Joe Schmidt before that. Um, so there, therein lies the main challenge. I think no matter how much we discuss the tactics, the kicking, the technique, underlying all of it is that they were rocked early again and they were. 
it took them a long while to recover the second half they, they started to but it was gone by then yeah but even little moments of, of concentration so like you know England's first line out attack you know they go they go at a, uh, to Manu into the 7 10 channel mm. and like we miss you know what I mean and we're, like there's should be no surprise there you know what I mean it's it's, a, it's odds on that's the where the first strike is going to be um, and that gets them over the game line so it wasn't like it wasn't a, a, that he smashed through the tackle actually we we kind of let him run between two people, Josh and and, and Johnny. Yeah. But like that's your Josh's tackle from in that system. So and he's a great tackler, but for some reason he just got caught ball watching for a second. And next thing they're seven or eight yards over the gain line, and you know one and you know it's it's given them a, a bit of energy, and and, and that's why I think sometimes our concentration just at the mo- switches off a little bit. Um, and it's only one. It's another little factor in, in obviously what was an overall game with lots of issues for us. But um, it would be interesting to see, you know, uh, watch the space. What happens there? Murray, we spoke last week with Andy about the effect of the media, that pesky media on players and also yeah. social media, uh, and just how it it can impact performance and just impact people's lives in a general sense. And it is kind of a hot button topic. Uh, it, globally probably at the moment um particularly after what happened to caroline flack and things like that quite recently there's a question here from eric fitzgerald which funnily enough arrived into the whatsapp group after i'd suggested to you that we kind of speak about some of the media's interpretation of the rugby media's perception of this (laughs) irish team yeah yeah because eric asks are we the only country where the media reaction to results swings from zero to 100 or is it common in Wales, England, France, etc.? He says, before we played England, we were being talked up as potential Grand Slam winners. Now it seems like we're the worst team in the world. To which Mick in the group replied, I don't think we are the worst. The Welsh, <laughs> judging by some of the podcasts I <laughs> listen to, are just as bad. Uh, best team when they win, worst team when they lose. Some of the stuff on Facebook forums has been toxic, all right. I think we have gotten worse. And then that sort of harks back to what we were speaking about last week, like Facebook forums are not the media in a traditional sense like that's a conflation yeah. of, of two things not not that Mick is conflating it but it is it is often conflated now I would have seen a couple of journalists having a go at the rugby media after this game sometimes including an incident with yourself where you were just quoting Andy Farrell verbatim yeah. and you were sort of accused of being a PR arm for yeah. the IRFU it's and you, you've touched upon it very briefly in the past but I, I was keen to chat to you about it and also get Bernard's thoughts on it like <laughs> the perception of you guys being too soft on this team seems to be held by a few p- other people within the media kind of like colleagues in a vague sense mm. and yet you'll have fans saying to you that you're too harsh on the team particularly too harsh on Joe Schmidt in the aftermath of the World Cup it, uh, does it drive you demented actually? Um, it, I suppose you. It's, it's the reason you, you've Go with what you feel is the right thing to write because you get such extreme reactions. After the World Cup, in my eyes, I, I wasn't being extreme. I was trying to report on the fact that it was a, a disaster of World Cup, really. They they didn't perform in the two big games. They lost the pool stage game against a team who was ranked considerably lower than them. Of course, they're at home. Um, but yeah, I got a lot of... I got emails, I got messages saying you're being severely harsh here, go easy on the guys, that kind of stuff. There were players pissed off with a lot of the including my coverage, thinking it was overly extreme and, and harsh. I completely disagree with that. I thought I was literally being very factual to it. And then at the other side, you have, yeah, you have things like that. It was Bernard who drew my attention to that tweet the other day from you. And uh, listen, I, I try and ignore people who 
do things like that on Twitter and, and try and provoke a bit of controversy. But it is it is another side of it, which again, I get more emails and messages about you're being real soft, you're Joe Schmidt's guy, you need to really lambast these play, uh, players and coaches, you need to re- really criticise Johnny Sexton, call for him to be dropped. So there's just that extreme reaction, which I think exists more in the general public sphere than in the media. Um like I think the the reaction to this has been critical. Like my match report was critical of the performance because it was bad. It, it underlined the fact that Andy Farrell's team know they have a long way to go, and they were physically beaten, they were tactically beaten. I think I wrote all those things. I tweeted about the poor performances, the the moments of poor play from example Jacob, Jacob Stockdale. And I think those things were fair, but I certainly try to avoid extreme reactions because, as we've just discussed, like moments make matches and make a huge difference in the in the outcome so I suppose I can only speak personally but I, I've never gone in with it thinking okay I'm gonna have an extreme reaction here to provoke it there certainly are maybe one or two articles after every match that are extreme and the pity is that people tend to judge the media as a whole organization and, and group sorry based on maybe one or two articles um, and players probably do that as well we discussed it they probably see a high-profile pundit or, or a columnist making a, a pretty sweeping extreme statement and then they say that's what the media thinks so yeah it, it is kind of frustrating but that's that's grand people are entitled to their opinions I, I find it quite comical sometimes how even the same article can provoke two uh, uh, reactions at the opposite end of the spectrum so that's just part and parcel of it isn't it yeah you would have um experienced it bernard both as a player and as a coach but also as a coach abroad yeah. where the media interpretation of, of say things like defeats might be different it might not be different what, what's your uh, take I'd say Wales is worse than Ireland um, so Wales is a real goldfish bowl um, and the level of understanding of, of what's what's reasonable success it would be quite poor you know um, even someone like Gatland who brought unbelievable success um, to Wales at times was you know ridiculed in certain elements of the of the French uh, or the, the Welsh press and uh, attacked and, and stuff but I think the problem at the moment is that most people the people who are reasonable and understand sport and understand that um, you've no divine right to win and, and things take time and there'll be ups and downs they don't really engage that much you know it's the it's the people who are extreme um, you know and the village idiots they they shout the loudest, you know, and uh, and we let we, we let them warp our, our our opinion of it. So like I would have lots of chats on a daily basis with people about all kinds of sports, and people like give their opinion and stuff, and 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 they're reasonable people, you know what I mean? And, and like there's no hatred or, or or bitterness or you know one sport is better than the other uh, amongst that. And but the problem is they also don't go on uh, go out and and start looking for reasons to start. Just arguments uh, with other sports. They just like there's good people. They uh, like all sports, uh, but uh, unfortunately, there's a percentage at the moment who who want to kill rugby and, and knock rugby. Um, and like you know, we went to Twickenham, England, are a good side. We haven't uh, and and we lost. You know what I mean? And we hold our hands up and and, and we're, we're critical of the elements that didn't work, but hopefully try and give a, a reasonable understanding of why and what what has to come next uh, without being sensationalist and and wanting heads on a place because. Like that's that's nonsense, you know what I mean? Uh, like we went to Twickenham, England were in the World Cup final four or five months ago, and they're a very good side. They're one of the most powerful um, uh, nations in, in in world rugby, and most participation, etc. And we've no divine right to go there and win. And and 
you know, obviously we want to win, um, but you got to look at where we're coming from and, and you know what needs to happen to be able to, to be able to win. And uh, like I, I don't understand why people just want to attack and shout and 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 uh, preach. You know, do they hold themselves to the same standards they expect of everyone else? You know, um, it's just it's mental. It's, it's, it's a pity we have to talk about them because it's becoming more and more common. And I see people attacking players on, on, uh, directly online and stuff. And I just think it's 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 a sad indictment to them. You know, and I hope no player or coach um, really listens to them. You know, I would never never listen to someone's um, opinion that I wouldn't ask for advice. You know, so and that's the problem. Like there's people that you wouldn't ask for advice. Um, uh, like preaching and telling you what you should be doing, mm. you know, um, and it, it, like it is, it's scary um, in terms of the, the like in the old days, if you went to the pub, you know, and you saw the village idiot at the bar, you'd sit in the lounge, you know, and you wouldn't because you just didn't want to hear his opinions, um, and you didn't have to, you know, you could walk, you leave the pub or whatever. Whereas now, there's a way of them actually, you know giving them your opinion and you infiltrating can't, your in, defenses in your defense. yeah, yeah. And, that's, uh, and I don't need the answers to shut off social media because there's lots of yeah. positives to it um, but yeah it's not like even the problem sometimes is, is say you read one of Murray's articles um, and then you read the comments right the co- that, reading those comments can, can maybe affect your interpretation of what Murray was saying in a, in a strange way because you, you package it all together you yeah, know what yeah. I mean but, yeah. and that's uh, so that, that's sometimes people need to be careful of that as well of of not reading the comments and thinking, you know, that was what Murray was trying to say, or or, or some other journalist, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a strange time, but we just gotta try and try and work our way through it. Do you think, as Eric says, it goes from one to one hundred and back again, or is it just the case that like after we beat Wales, we were technically Grand Slam contenders? Nobody was saying we were going to win it, but we were certainly in the mix and had produced a type of performance that would have suggested we could go to Twickenham with optimism. Like, to my mind, I, I find that, and part of this opinion is probably formed based on what I see on social media, but it's more so an opinion of Irish rugby supporters' interpretation of the media times. I think often analytical criticism can be interpreted as just negativity as if some supporters mm. actually do believe the media should be a PR arm and support this team but the media's role is not to support at all like it's well, to get, be yeah. we get objective. those messages I'll get behind the team like uh, I've had emails from people saying like get behind the team they need your support it's not it's not my job at all and I have no interest in doing that I'm just literally trying to report what I see yeah, but you you also pick out the highlight you pick out if you see something positive you'll try and analyse that and, and write about that as well. So you're not looking... There's people who look for, like, the negatives all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, like, and, and sensationalism, at least with, uh, you know, um, with, with your articles, your, if you are being critical, there's actually some substance to what happened um, and what went wrong, rather than, oh, everyone's crap. And, and yeah, it's, players, it's, are, players, players are getting paid this amount of money, they can't catch the ball. You it's know, qualified, qualified criticism, criticism as it, opposed to personal. And I don't, I don't think any player or coach has an issue with that. To be honest, I think some players do. Yeah, well, then in this day, they, well, then they, that, that's that's on them. I think that's that's a far better medium of, of of you know reporting on on footage or games than the old days where you know someone just did player ratings, you know, mm. and that can be very personal. There can be you know a personal issue with that. Some someone who be given the player ratings might not have a good understanding of the game. I think that's that that's a far worse way of 
of of being a journalist than actually you know really putting time in to try and mm-hmm. analyze what actually happened. But player rating, I despise personally on yeah. a level. I despise player ratings. They're so unfair. Get... I don't think Joe Schmidt's player ratings would be accurate because he's watched the game once. Yeah. No one can see everything. But to bring it back to the point that you made, we talked about it after the World Cup. It is a challenge for rugby. Um, and something they have to kind of start overcoming the fact that so many people absolutely revel in them doing badly like when the Irish football team or any Irish team lose any Irish athlete I would ne- it would never be my instinct to go oh brilliant great well, great to see this what can the game do like uh, I you know, can you convert them into being reasonable people or, or you know rugby fans it doesn't like they seem to have an ingr- in, uh, innate hatred of of the game and the people who like the game so I think it's I think it's a case of you have to wait 10, 15, 20 years for more Ty yeah. Furlongs and Sean yeah. O'Brien's yeah. to come along and more lads from West Cork and for it to that net to the net that has already been extended to start paying more dividends and for it to be perceived as being more of a national sport or yeah. a nationwide sport rather than well, well, yeah. centralised in that, Yeah and that's an interesting part of it because it is already happening um, like say the last couple of weeks not to like blow her on Trump, but we had a piece on, on say Waterford rugby where there's more coming through. We did a piece on a on a guy coming through the Gale Tucked from on Gale Tucked rugby and there's a couple of more players coming behind him. That's starting to happen. I know Tal RFC as a club is really growing. They have a division six final, I think, in, in three weeks time or two weeks time. Um, and we're hoping to do something on them. It is there and I'd say there's really a lack of awareness that it is starting to change. Of course it's still predominantly actually, driven by the I don't even know if that will well, that would have a massive effect on some of the some of the people who that have a big it. chip on the shoulder because then their argument would be, oh, that fella could have been playing for for the club in you know in the in the in the championship and amateur sport. You know, you just you're never going to keep everyone happy. And I think the problem yeah. is trying to worry about keeping them happy. You know, leave, leave them be. Like you know, leave them, let them on, crack on, I'm wasting their own energy and time. That's yeah, fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> if you want to hate, let the haters hate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, fair. that's that they're almost that. braver behind the keyboard than they are in person. Well, that is true, yeah. and that's yeah. the world we live in. Like, it's the online world is an extreme one. There's an insatiable demand for extreme reaction. If you write something balanced, it's just going to fade away. Yeah. So there's a reward there for those people who are buying into that and going for the extreme view. Yeah, people are, are are understandably critical of social media, and particularly when you see people who have like a fucking profile picture of Paul Scholes and their yeah. cover photo is a BMW 3 Series and they're tweeting abuse at you like I mean yeah. why the f- genuinely why the yeah. fuck would I care what, what you think about anything firstly right but also like the the perception of it that like this is a new phenomenon I don't buy into at all I think mm. there have always been people like these loads of them it's just that they've been the lunatic in the bar yeah. that you have found a way to avoid and now they have a medium <laughs> of expressing their insanely stupid and, yeah. and pointless views my advice just one piece of advice people if they see an article that they that pisses them off please don't share it on social media which happens all the time if someone's pissing off on, on Twitter either mute or block them and don't engage it's you're feeding it by engaging with it so every time you see that columnist who you despise and you go here we go I'm going to tweet about this you're actually feeding the beast so that'll be my advice also very fair Come here, gents. That's all we've got time for. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bernard, we'll catch you soon. Uh, come here, before we sign off, I know it's annoying when people ask you to rate and review a podcast, so I'm not going to do that. 
although even if you do enjoy the pod and you are feeling especially kind we certainly wouldn't protest against it uh, and thanks a million by the way to everyone who has so far even the fellow who called for my removal as a presenter yeah, harsh. not long <laughs> Extreme ago reaction. yeah still a five-star review though so much appreciated uh, but murray and i were chatting during the week and we think you'll agree that generally speaking when you hear about a podcast for the first time it's kind of through a friend or a family member so what we do humbly ask is that if you do enjoy the 42 Rugby Weekly, that you might recommend it to a friend of yours who is a rugby fan and whose radar might not yet have been crossed by our little show here. Podcasts are kind of weird anyway. Like we tweet ours a couple of times and we might throw a clip up on Facebook, but realistically, Twitter is less than 10% of the population. And realistically, who the hell is on Facebook anymore apart from our aunts and uncles whose <laughs> worldviews are determined by an algorithm and who think still somehow that the PC brigade have banned the word Easter from their children's Easter eggs. So we're kind of relying on word of mouth and we'd greatly appreciate an old verbal recommendation to a friend or family member if you reckon the podcast would be of interest to them. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody, and we will catch you soon once we make it through the weekend with our health. Uh, and until then, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it is coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and oh! oh!